Thank you for joining us for the Change Lives, Changing Lives radio broadcast, a ministry of New Day Christian Church. And remember, if you are ever in our area, please stop by. We'll make you feel right at home. Now, let's join Pastor George Logan for today's message. I was at a board meeting uh, on the, on the, uh, at Montreat, uh, part of the board of trustees, and one of the uh, trustee members um, shared a story. And he, uh, he said that God spoke to him and told him that he needed to expand um, the numbers uh, or the, the, the people that are in his life. And to really, he's a longtime pastor, retired pastor, and um, wonderful man, wonderful man. But he, he said he was getting a little, little institutional relative to the things of God and, and his role. And, uh, and I would say that he, he would probably agree with me that, that just religious, like I've got a role to play, this is my job, I'm, I'm a pastor, I need to do this. But God spoke to him one day and said, um, said I need you to expand the, the, the sphere of your friendships. And so he told him, I, w- I, want, you to, I want you to go and, and find an unbeliever as a friend. I want you to find a Muslim as a friend. I want you to go and find someone who has same-sex attraction as a friend. I want you to find someone who is ethnically and culturally diverse from you as a friend. And then I want you to go, and uh, the last one was, um, I, I want you to go and find a, a Jewish person as a friend. And in obedience to what he sensed the Spirit of God telling him, he went and did that. And, uh, but the, the, the friendship that he, he, the one he kind of expounded on, he said he was at the hospital one day and um, several years ago, this has been a process of several years, he was in the hospital one day and he was doing his rounds at the hospital and said he heard, he, he was down, I guess, towards the door like you're, like you're leaving the hospital and there's a, there was a lady there, a black lady, and uh, she was in the wheelchair, you know how they kind of push you out to go out the door, um, and she had three babies. She, she had triplets. Now you're gonna like this, because I'm gonna see if you know which, what, 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 what was her ethnic and cultural background. You already told you. Oh, I didn't tell you. I told you there. What did I tell you? I told you she was a black lady. <laughs> that must have slipped out. <laughs> <laughs> she's okay, so she's a black lady. This is a white man, a white pastor. And she had three children, triplets, and she saw him coming. She, he must have looked pastoral. And she said, are you a preacher? He said, yes. He said, well, come over here and bless my children. And so he was like, and, you know, sounded like she was pretty, uh, you know, uh, loud. And so he went over there, and he, he, he said in himself that he really didn't want to do it. He really didn't want to go over there. He, he said it really wasn't his thing to do stuff so publicly. And, and, uh, but she called him over, and, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't deny the fact he was a preacher. And so she said, these are my three children. You're going to like this. Jamaica, Jamaica, and Jamoka. <laughs> see, see, I thought he was joking at first. 
He said, these are my three children, Jamaica, Jamaica, and Jamoka. He said, will you pray for them? And uh, so he, he went and he said, yes. I, and he, he, he said, would you bless them? That's what she said. Would you bless my children? And so he said, uh, yes. Um, and he prayed for her. And, and she was like, amen, hallelujah. And she was, you know, just, she was, and he, he felt very uncomfortable with that. But he did it anyway. And as he was getting ready to, after that, Dick and she went on and left, she said, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, I want you to form a friendship with this family. And so he and his wife went to um, the, a neighbor, the neighborhood in which they lived, and, uh, and they looked for him and hunted him down, and they finally found him, and they established a relationship with, with this lady and her three sons, her three chiplets. In the course of their relationship, one of them was killed in gang violence, uh, was murdered uh, uh, on the streets there in, in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, um, and he was there. He, he was there for them. Uh, I don't know if he, in what degree that he didn't really share how he was there for them, but they had established a relationship with this family. And he said the day that he came up to, to uh, uh, the day or two before he came up to our last meeting this past Friday, um, he got another call, and, and then that call, uh, one of the other boys uh, had just been uh, uh, taken in uh, on a murder charge. So of the three boys, uh, they called, the police called him up and said, um, there's a young man down here, and he says that you know him. And, uh, and he said, what's his name? He told him his name, and he said, yes, I do know him. And so now he's kind of, he's still involved in this family's life uh, in some very, you know, not so good terms uh, relative to what's going on in their lives. And uh, so, so what I went up to him afterwards and I said to him, because he was like, you know, I mean, that, that's, I mean, I prayed for these young men and been in their lives and then these things happened to them. These things took place. And I said, you know what, here's what I took from this story for me. And I said it just blessed me tremendously and made me, made me recalibrate some things in my own mind relative to how to go out and, and touch people's lives. I said, I said you, may, you may feel like your influence, you didn't have a great impact on their lives, but could it not be that quite possibly through your interaction that these people received a pipeline from heaven and that they were blessed, the blessing, even though it didn't turn out, even though the swamp of difficulties around them were, were so severe, but quite possibly they found Jesus Christ through your intervention, through your taking the time to call on and pray for them. And the mom, obviously, she, she knew enough to know that I need a blessing on my children. Uh, but the, the story for me was just that. It's how important it is. Uh, Brian Stevenson if you ever get an opportunity to, to, to hear any of his teachings or, or um, he's got a book out called Just Mercy. I, I believe he grew up in a Christian home. He doesn't tout necessarily a lot of uh, uh, Christian, Christian, but his, his views and, and what he says, it, you see it right in the Bible. He said proximity. It's important for us to understand how important proximity is to be in people's lives. And so I just want to lay that on all of us today myself included, how important it is to be proximate, to 
be proximity, to seek proximity, to seek people who are not in your regular spheres of influence, to actually go after them, to look for them, and, and look, how do, I, how do I get into their sphere? How do I go in and maybe ask this person to have lunch? There's a person who calls me up and has actually invited me to, uh, down to Atlanta uh, and uh, one of the trips to Atlanta uh, paid for, for me to go to a conference there. And, and I'll be honest with you, initially, uh, when this person seemingly uh, was, was pursuing me in a friendship, um, I, was, I was like, it's a little, that's a little weird. But the person was doing what I think is, is necessary in order for us to have true friendships, is, is to be intentional. Got to be intentional. And so from the time that we were in California up until now, this person has come in and out of our lives, just calling, just saying, hey, this, I think this will be a good conference for you. You, you want to consider coming down. And just, just that kind of intentionality. So I, I, I put that out before you all today to think about your own sphere and how God might use what we just talked about today to, to, to be in the lives of other people that you may not otherwise have an opportunity to be in their life. Does that make sense? All right. We'll go ahead and release the children at this time. Remem remember the three children. Uh, remember that family. Uh, pray for the family that's, um, that's there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, all right. Excuse me? going here this morning. Uh, let's turn real quickly to, um, and, and, and I tell you what, you don't have to turn there. We, we're going to just bounce off of this one real quickly. I, I shared this last week, and I'm going to share a little bit more this week. Um, So in Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Everybody say work out. Work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Work out. And so we're going we're gonna to be in that, we're going to talk a little more about that, but uh, I want us to see that, that, that salvation is something that has to be worked out, that it is a process, that it's not I got saved today and period. It's I got saved and I'm being saved. I am being saved. I got saved, which is a definite thing, which means that we're going to go to G be with Jesus one day when we die or if we live until he comes back. But the working out of our salvation is, is indeed a process, something that we have to work out uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I'll give an example of that and, and tell you another story real quick. Um, my, my son, uh, Gabriel, has kind of taken up golf, and he, he came up, called the other day, and he said, he said, Dad, I, I shot a 40 on the back nine. And I said, he shot a 40 on the back nine. I like, he's... He did, now, you've got to understand what that means to me. That means that he's about, about eight strokes at least better than me. <laughs> about eight strokes better than me. 
And, and he's been going out to the driving range, and he's been going out and playing golf. And, and, um, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I just can't have that. And so, so, so when he told me that, here's what George Logan did. George Logan stepped up his game. I don't know how it's going to pan out yet. I really don't. But uh, Brother Gary and I, will, he'll let you know that the driving range really is not thing. We, you know, we, we just think that we can go out there and use sheer athletic ability and, and come out with, but it don't happen that way. So I've been going to the driving range a couple of times a week now. I pick up my son around 4, 4.30 sometimes from, the, from Freedom, and if I have a little time, I don't even tell my wife. I just go out there, and, and I, I, I've been hitting some extra balls. I, I've been working out some stuff. Around the house now, um, my wife said, what are you doing? Because she heard, she heard this sound up against the wall of the house. This right here. Now, now notice, I'm, I'm, just, I'm working on my swing, and I'm hitting the wall. She's like, what are you doing? What am I doing? I'm practicing. I'm working out. I'm working out. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to conform to the things that I'm beginning to see. But I have to work it out. I'm, I'm working out some stuff. Uh, I got a little golf club next to my bed at night. Not at night. I mean, right, right, not too far from my bed. And I pick it up. And I just sweep the floor before I go to bed. Just sweep the floor. Just sweep the floor. How come? Because I got an enemy now. <laughs> Y'all heard Dr. Uh, Dr. Gould say he, we have an enemy. I got an enemy now. I called him up the other day, and he kind of sheepishly, uh, Gabriel that is, he kind of sheepishly said, I said, what you doing today, Gabe? Now, he's got a baby on the way, right? He's, the boy's got a baby coming. He said, uh, I'm just getting with a friend of mine. I said, Gabe, you're going to play golf, aren't you? <laughs> In other words, he's, he's working out. So now, now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, up my game. It, 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 I didn't like getting beat by, you know, Eric and, and Gary, but now it's my it's blood. <laughs> it's civil war time. I don't know how this is going to pan out, and I'm not saying I'm any better, but I'm saying I'm working out some things. I'm trying to work out some things in my mind, because it's not a matter of strength; it's a matter of concept and skill? Can I convert what I'm learning into something that is now working and, and manifested in my life? I'll tell you another story, and I heard this one. This was from T.D. Jakes recently. Maybe some of you all heard it as well. But he's talking about the children coming out of Israel and how many of them got stuck in the wilderness. And he, he told this story, and I said, this is so, this is so good. I can, I can, I'm going to take this. He was talking about before Salmon became the big craze, um, there was uh, cod, and any of you growing up in the north, the north northeast, anyone grew up in the northeast? Anyone, anyone that grew up where cod was? Did you eat cod growing up? 
all the time. So it was a staple up there, right? Well, cod was there before salmon became big. And so the people on the West Coast wanted, to, uh, wanted this cod, this fresh, right out of the water cod, fresh, you know, cod, you know. And it's got a taste to it that is different from uh, frozen cod or cod that is, um, that is it's just better. It just tastes better. So they were trying to figure out how to get this cod fish out to the West Coast. And so they said, well, they, t- they sent it out there and frozen, and when they got it, just wasn't, this didn't taste well. So they said, okay, well, let's send it out in like a, an aquarium, like in, in water. And so they sent it out there, and the fish were still fishy. They were still alive, and they sent it out in the water. So they were still swimming around and having a good time. Um, uh, when, when they sent them out to the West Coast. But when they got it again, it wasn't the same. It wasn't, it wasn't fresh anymore. It, wasn't, it didn't have that fresh taste to it. Now, Joe, you're a fisherman. The fish tastes better right out of the lake than it does after Lua? Absolutely, he says. And so, so they said, you know what? It's not selling well if I'm doing it this way. So they said, you know what? God has a predator. And you know what they did? They put that predator, they kept the, the water, they kept them alive, but they put a predator in the water with the cod, catfish. And so while they were traveling, I guess by train, I, I'm assuming, uh, to the West Coast, they were also running, trying to stay alive, trying to stay out of the mouth of the catfish. And guess what? When it got to, to the West Coast, it tastes just like they came out of the water. How come? Because every day they're growing. They're, learning, they're trying to stay alive. When you begin to realize you've got an enemy and he's trying to get you and take you under, then every day you'll sup from the Word of God. Every day you'll meditate upon the Word of God day and night. Every day you'll be a doer of the Word of God. Because you realize there is an enemy out there trying to get me. And, and the word of God will be fresh. You'll you, you, you start getting new revelation and understanding. And, and it won't be old manna. It'll be, old, it'll be alive and well. And nothing is stale anymore. Your worship's not stale. Your, your time spent with God is not stale. Because you realize something is chasing me and trying to get me. I got to stay with the Word of God. I got to be in church. I got to be in Bible study. I got to be meditating on the Word of God day and night. I got to I got to listen and read for myself and find out what God is saying to me. See, we all have an enemy. Just some of us don't realize we have an enemy. So we don't we don't we don't act as though there's something trying to get you. And there is. So let's move on. Let's look at a few things here. Um, look at, go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We want to look quickly at, at a scripture. And then I want to turn to several scriptures. And, and I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit because I got a lot of scriptures to go over. Um, but maybe not all today. But I want, I, I just trust the Spirit of God to give me the proper order for each one of them. All right, so look at, look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm not going to read all of it as we did last Sunday. But I want to read that latter part of it, verse 22 and 23. It says, well, verse 21, 22 and 23, it says, 
If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now remember, where is the truth? Someone tell me, where is the truth? It's just right there. It's open book test. Where is the truth? The truth, the truth is in Jesus. And what does Jesus say about the truth? And you will know the truth and the truth that is in Jesus will make you free. All right? You'll know the truth and the truth that you know will make you free. All right? So it says, for the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conduct and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you may put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we're going to go back to 23, but I want you to look at 24. It says, and that you put on the new man which was created, which was, was, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It says, and that you put on the new man, which will be created according to God. Does it say that? Now, this is important for us to get that, that slight little difference there. It says, and that you put on the new man, which might be, could be, will be. No, it doesn't say any of those, does it? It says that you put on the new man which was created according to God. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That, 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 that he says we already have something that is already made in righteousness and holiness. That is already like God. Right. Rightness. Righteousness and holiness. That you, now how many of you um, this morning before you came to church... How many of you went down to uh, uh, Belks, TJ Maxx, um, some other place uh, to put on some clothes, to find some clothes to put on? Anyone? Did, how many of you came straight from your house to church? Show, show me your hands. How many of you came straight from your house to church? Okay. And, and where did you get your clothes at this morning? Out of your closet, right? Did it pre-exist? Did it already exist? In other words, when you chose what you were going to wear, was it already there? It was already there, right? You didn't have to look. You may, had to, you may have had to look for it in that it's in a whole lot of other stuff around, but, but it was already there. It was already in there. So you, you already had what you needed to come to church, right? Well, God is saying to us that we, you and I, you... And I are already made in true righteousness and holiness. We already are. We're already made in true righteousness and holiness. And so what he's saying is that you might learn Christ so that we may learn how to put on what's already there. Christianity is not the great longing for. It is not considered the great longing for. I'm longing for this. No, it's saying Christianity is, the words of it is, I have it. It's already mine. It's mine. I have it right now. 
That's the testament of faith. But we have to get what is ours. We got to get our minds to believe that we really have it. We have to get our minds to believe that you really already have it. That we would have the revelation that it's already ours. So when it says, go back to verse 23. It says, and be renewed in the what? In the spirit of your mind. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Many of us have been collecting information from church for many, many years. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. We've been acquainted with it, and we've been storing up stuff in our minds, but we have not got it in the spirit of our mind. Because the spirit of our mind means that we've got the revelation of it. That I've got the revelation that I am the righteousness of God. That I am made in holiness. And when we get the revelation of that, uh, things change. How many of you, how many of you, before, how many of you um, struggled through school? Just, just struggled through uh, high school, um, middle school, elementary school. Just, I mean, you just, just, man, I'm just struggling. You know? And, and how many of you quite possibly um, thought that the struggle meant that you were not smart, that you were not intelligent, that you, you didn't have what it takes? Yeah, yeah, thank you for being honest. Yeah, most of us have been identified by our surroundings as opposed to what's on the inside of us. And so maybe we did struggle. Man, if, if, if it were up to George Logan to be a math Matician. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Man, we would, we would all go down the tubes. We would. I just needed to make it through. I just, if it were up to me to have graduated from high school and college based upon math, I probably wouldn't have done it. If they had to do one more math at me, I'd have said, no. Mm-mm. I told you this before when I was in college. My, what the, I, I, the, the critical point in my, in my career is I had to pass this test to get into the business school at Carolina. And Carolina at that time, and probably still is, had the, one of the best business schools. And you had to have at least a 2.5 to get into the business school. At least a 2.5 to get into business school. And that's just, you know, that's taking all their courses and you end up. And it was tough. So 2.5 is nothing to frown on. It was, that's tough. It was tough getting in there. And I had to take this uh, calculus for business from a German professor. Uh, um, uh, shall we say George didn't make it into the business school? Because <laughs> uh, he would say, and you know, he wasn't speaking German, but it sounded like German to me. And I struggled with that class. I just, I just got down. The hair of my chinny chin chin. Oh, I got out by the hair of my chinny chin chin. I got, a, I got a D in that class, and I was happy for the D. You understand? Anyone ever been in a class where you just happy you got a D? Yeah. Yes, indeed. I was happy. I was overjoyed. I ran it out of class joyously. Now, I'm not saying that that one class kept me out of the, out of the, uh, the, the business school, uh, but it, it surely didn't help. But 
But had I defined myself by my struggles in math, I would have never considered myself intellectually capable of doing hardly anything. That's just me. I don't know if anyone else ever struggled like that. But, but George Logan did. And, and I had to renew my mind that, did you know, you, you're not dumb. You just can't do math. <laughs> right? This is, this is, yeah. And so the goal was just get through. Right? Just get through. And there's certain things in life. The, the Word of God is such a wonderful, wonderful, it's wonderful because it ch- allows us to, to identify with our true self as opposed to all of the things that, that cause us to make us think that we're certain things. And so when we talk about be renewed in the spirit of your mind, the spirit of the mind of many people is a revelation that they've received by their surroundings. By the things around them. You know, there are, there are people who think that they are dumb because they've just been in a surrounding where no one has ever, ever told them otherwise. There are, there are kids who, who, who may uh, struggle with reading and they think that because I struggle with reading, I'm not smart. Naomi deals with kids who are, have dyslexia and they're not dumb. They just have a different way of seeing words and making sentences and doing that thing but as soon as they get out of that room where it counts it has some value to do good in the school system and they get in that 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 place where where you know you you are there's a guy that I went to school with and he struggled at Carolina he struggled and and now he's he's one of he's been working with Microsoft and Apple for some time now he left Carolina and went to state and he went <laughs> I, I'm not saying the state, no, but it just put him in his vein. He was, he was sharp with the, with the uh, uh, maths and science. He was sharp, sharp. He just had no business being in a liberal arts school like Carolina. It exploited his weaknesses. When he went to, when he went to state, it, it, it really, it, he embraced, you know, numbers and computers and all of that kind of stuff. He wasn't dumb at Carolina. He was just not in the right place. And so no matter what's going on in, your, in our lives today, we, we need to understand that I am not necessarily what I'm producing right now. But I need to get a revelation so that I can produce other things. I need to have reve- revealing something open up in my mind that lets me know that that's not who I am. And that's why I think it's so important for us to get into places where people are convinced that they are their surroundings, that they have a revelation so that we can change that, that narrative that they have of their lives. Let's look at some other scriptures. Uh, I'm going to go to a scripture here that, that, um, that I believe will, will help you out to see this even more. So it says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I, I just want you all to get that that spirit is the, the what we tell ourselves, what, what we believe to be true. What we tell ourselves, it's the revelation of what we believe to be true. And so it, it's going to work one way or the other for us, either negatively or positively. So if we go to another scripture here, look at um, Mark chapter 4. And you, you'll be familiar with this scripture, but 
I was reading it the other day, and it just popped out. Spirit of your mind. Look at this. Mark chapter 4 and verse, I'm going to read all of it because I think it just, in context, we need to do that. It says, listen, <clears throat> verse 3, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it, is, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside... All things come in parables. So the things they may see are not seeing the thing. So that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? How then will you understand all parables? The sower, so l l listen, listen to the magnitude of this. The magnitude of what he's saying here is that if you don't get this, you don't get anything else. If you don't understand what we're talking about right now, you're not going to get other things relative to the kingdom of God. If you miss this, you miss everything. Going back to math again. I'm grateful for the first grade because in the first grade, guess what? I learned one plus one equals what? Two. You know, that's the foundation for knowing algebra. Yes. Because if you don't know one plus one equals two, you're not going to get algebra either, right? I didn't say one plus one equals two was easy. I just said it was the stepping stones. All right, here we go. So verse 13. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the what? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have not no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this word, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones who sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some hundredfold. 
I submit to you that this is a principle. A principle, a law as it were. And in this principle, it, it has four kinds of individuals. One individual, the word is sown and he, he, immediately the enemy comes and steals that word. So there's, there's a reason why we pray over these the sanctuary and over the grounds and we have time of prayer because we don't want anyone to have the word sown, stolen from them immediately upon hearing the word of God. Immediately the enemy comes and steals the word. This could be, uh, in our time, it could be a believer or it could possibly be an unbeliever who hasn't heard. But I believe the next three are, are people who would qualify as believers. In other words, people who are, who are very well could be born again. All right? The next one, the next person, the Bible says that he's uh, the, the, the word of God is sown on what kind of ground? Stony ground. No, not, not the, the next one is, is not stony ground, is it? Likewise, the ones that are stoned on stony ground, they hear the word. Go ahead. Yeah. Next. We're immediately receive it with gladness. Okay, yes, it is. So th there are... That is the person, you know, with, with a stony ground, how would, you, how would you propose getting the word into stony ground? What would you have? You have to do what? Go ahead. I think you got it. You have to break up the soil, right? In other words, there's nothing wrong with stony ground unless you keep it stony. And to be quite honest with you, all of us probably started with stony ground. All of us had some hard stuff in the inside of you, in the inside of us, that it took some cultivating. Stony ground would be kind of like a hard head, right? Can we say that? A hard head. You ain't going to tell me. You ain't going to tell me what to do, you know? Nobody going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. They're going to tell me how to spend my money. It's my money. All right, that's, that's hard-headedness. Nothing wrong with it. Probably most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us have started out with a stoniness about us, a hardness about us because of things that we have learned and have been baked and we just kind of are, are, are strong on that very thing. But the Bible tells this. He says, whomever, talking about the, the cornerstone, he says, whoever this stone, whoever this stone falls on, oh my goodness. But whoever falls on the stone, they're gonna be all right. So what we're doing here this morning is we're falling on the stone. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? We are falling on the stone. We're, we're saying stone. We're saying the word, the, the ancient of days, the, the rock of ages. We want to fall on you instead of keeping ourselves independent of you. We don't want to be the, the, uh, so hard-headed that we don't, can't receive anything this morning. But we want to fall on the stone. And that's what's happening. That should be what's happening in our lives is when we're hearing the word of God, we should, be, we should say selectively, voluntarily, we want to fall on this stone and have everything that is not in keeping with the stone broken up so that we can receive the word of God. 
And the stone, the stone is not in your spirit. Your, your spirit is pliable. It, it wants to grow. It wants to learn. It is it's leaping. Where it comes with complications is right up here. Right up here. Matter of fact, I think we're going to start assigning someone with a sledgehammer. Uh, 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 anyone we suspect that has a, a, a head, a stony, uh, that's hard-headed, we're going to give them a little tap in the head. No, but that's what the Word of God is, but we voluntarily do it. It says, whomever the stone falls on, but whoever falls on the stone. And we can see the people who fall on the stone. They, they're humble people. They, they, they said, you know what? It's not my way anymore. It's his way. Let's read the next kind of character who is in this realm of renewal of the mind. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, they immediately stumble. If I've learned anything in these past 25 years of ministry, I have learned that it's not the one who bursts out first who gets it. It's the one who remains until the end. They're the ones who get it. It's the ones who, who will stay the course, who just, just ever so, so slowly. You know, someone said this to us one time. I think it was in that, what is it, that teaching we received from um, Dennis Rainey? Not Dennis Rainey, but the, the Dave Ramsey. He said that, was it, was it that one? He said, we all should read the book of the tortoise and the hare. Yes. Who, who gets the prize? It's the tortoise. Yes, indeed. It's the tortoise that gets the prize. It's the tortoise that stays the course. It's the tortoise that, 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 that go, makes it to the very end. And, and here's what I'm convinced of, that God has brought us into a walk of a tortoise and not the walk of a hare. That's why he tells us, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Inch by inch is a cinch, right? In other words, keep on, keep on chugging away at it. Keep on working. Yeah, we're going to get some, some areas where we, we're, not, we're not what we need. If you're there now, come on and raise your hand. We want to know you. If you're already there, come on, let us know. If you need no repairs to your mind, you let us know. And I'll just sit down right now and let you do the rest of the teaching because you're already there. No, we should all embrace, I, I, embrace that I need a constant flow of the Word of God in my life to be able to change because I'm, I'm, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. By the renewing of my mind, I'm, I'm being transformed. So it says, tribulations come along, man. I, Man, you don't know what I got going on in my life. I don't think I'm going to read the word today. I got too many pressures on my life. I got, no, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to take care of this over here. No, that's not going to get us there. It's a matter of staying true to the word of God. It's a matter of just sticking it out, unwilling to give up. You know, we, our, our church has gone through so many different ups and downs, ebbs and flows. I mean, 
I mean, if I were, if I, God told me, he said, he said, just keep staying out of the middle. Don't get around and start looking at why or why not or who's coming, who's not coming, who's left, who's coming. No, just, just preach the word. Just stay true to the word of God. There may be some questions that we need to answer. There may be some things that we need to do and can't do better. But, but stay true to the word of God. Stay true to the word of God. I mean, we've, 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 in the course of 25 years, we've had musicians, we've not had musicians, we've had musicians, we've not had musicians. But we still keep coming. We still keep teaching the Word of God. Someone asked me the other day, said, um, said you know, we, or, or said, uh, uh, we need to do some things like such and such, or we need to, you know, and I was like, you know what, here's, here's what I know about the Word of God, that it's better today than it was when we started. I'm better today. I have a better understanding of the Word of God. I have a better grasp on the Word of God than when we first started. I asked your forgiveness for some of the things that I taught back in the day. <laughs> no. Now, it wasn't that it wasn't true. I just didn't have as greater understanding. I didn't have a greater revelation of it. But I've gotten more of it today. So there, there may be some things that we need to do, change relative to, but, but, but we're not going to change the word. We're, we're not going to, for the sake of getting people, use things that are, are, are uh, different from the, not that none of those things, and I'm not saying anything against any other way of persuasion, but I'm telling you, it's always going to boil down to the word. Not Java. You understand what I'm talking about? It's not going to boil down to whether or not, you know, and nothing wrong with having different things before service, you know, coffee, and the, but, but that's not going to save lives. I didn't say anything was wrong with it. But we're not going to ever be dependent upon something to make it work. Someone asked me, you know, you know, why don't you uh, hire you some musicians? That'd be a thought. If I were given that, that musicians could change lives. If I was given to the fact that musicians is the way to true freedom, it's not. Nothing wrong with it. But we're not going to build our church on great musicians or on entertainment value. We're going to build it on the word of God. God, keep me true to the word. Otherwise, we could go out there and look for some, you know, we can. Yeah, no, but, but that's, that's nothing wrong with that, but that's not how you build the church. You build the church on the word of God. So that you can get to this point right here. These are those, okay, let me go, go right back there again. Having no root in themselves. That, what, you know what that means really? What I believe that means is lacking in character. Just, just not having statuativeness in them.
Some, some, some people are further ahead of other people be, just only because they just didn't stop. They just did, they didn't quit. And, and revelation is, is progressive. So you, if you're staying with the word of God, you have more revelation today than you had a year ago. Just because you just stayed with it. And they have no root or character in themselves and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, let me just say this. Most everyone that's here today, and you have varying reasons for coming, but most everyone that's, that's here or has come through our ministry has not come for any perks. Not here for, for perks. Not, they're, not, they're not saying about us, man, they have the absolute best whatever. But hopefully they say, they, they, they teach the word there. Pastor Gould, we meet with him every quarter, a group of ministers, and he says, he, because, see, it's a cultural climate. The, the leaving of the word, even within church, is, is, is in the culture today. There is anti-word anti, anti today, anti-gospel, anti-Christ is prevalent in our, in our, uh, in our society today. And, and, and here's what Dr. Uh, uh, Pastor Gould would always tell us, he's told us over and over again, he says, you keep preaching the word. Keep preaching the word. Keep preaching the word. Don't stop preaching the word. Don't try to do it with gimmicks and games and programs. Teach the word. Teach the word. And I pray that's what you're here for. Do we need to do, we do, we need to do some other things? Yes, we need to go out in the community and teach what we've been taught. Share what we've received, but never give up on teaching the word. Not, not start spinning plates, you know, have three or four, five or six plates. I'm not good at it. Just teach the word. Listen to the last part here. And this is all a byproduct. I truly believe this last part, go, go to verse 19. Uh, well, that is the th that's the third one, isn't it? So, so the deceitfulness of riches. A and that's kind of where we are in our society today is we think that there's something, absolutely think there's something more important than the Word of God, the deceitfulness of riches. We're convinced that there's something that can save us outside of God. That's the deceitfulness of riches. There's something that maybe if I have a little more of this or a little more of that, I'll be all right. No, that's not the case. Let's move on to the last one and we'll be done. This is, this is what happens when our, the spirit of our mind is renewed. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it. Accept, you know what acceptance means? Acceptance means that it comes into the realm of your soul. You accept it, but, you, but there's a fight that goes on. There's a ripping sensation that happens. It must die at the cross. 
Self must die. Pity, self-pity must die. All of the, the, the things that are in the self-world must die. So, but these are the ones who sow on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Isn't that so wonderful? I'm going to read this to you, and then we are absolutely done today. Listen to this right here. This is a quote from A.W. Tozer. And I, I, I said, I'm going to just read it because I, I can't, there's no way I can say it as well as it is said in this book. Um, listen to this right here, if you'll allow me to read this. And, and, and we'll get into this a little more Wednesday night and, and also again on Sunday. What but the presence of the veil in our hearts? A veil not taken away as, first, as the first veil was, but which remains there still shutting out the light and hiding the face of God from us. It is the veil of our fleshly fallen nature living on, unjudged within us, uncrucified and unrepudiated. It is the close woven veil of the self-life, which we have never truly acknowledged of which we have been secretly ashamed and which for these reasons we have never brought to the judgment of the cross. It is not too mysterious, this opaque veil, nor is it hard to identify. We have but to look in our own hearts and we shall see it. Sown and patched and repaired it may be, but there nevertheless an enemy of our lives and an effective block to our spiritual progress. This veil is not a beautiful thing, and it is not a, a thing about which we commonly care to talk. But I am addressing the thirsting souls who are determined to follow God. Let's say that one more time. But I am addressing the thirsty souls who are determined to follow God. And I know they will not turn back because the way leads temporarily through the blackened hills. The urge of God within them will assure their continuing pursuit. They will face the facts, however unpleasant, and endure the cross for the joy set before them. So I am bold to name the threads out of which this inner veil is woven. It is woven of the fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be specific, the self-sins are these. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of, other like, of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention, to the light of God is focused upon them. The grosser manifestations of these sins, egotism, exhibitionism, self-promotion, are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. They are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel. Let me read this last part here. 
Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. Let us remember when we walk, when we talk of the rending of the veil, we are speaking in a figure and he, the thought of its potential almost unpleasant or pleasant, but in actuality, there is nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, the veil is made of living spiritual tissue, the inner, the inner, the, the, um, um, the, um, the, the mind of the spirit. Thank you, the spirit of the mind. Um, that's what I would call it. In human experience, the veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the uh, sentient, uh, quivering stuff of which our whole being consists. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. This is what I want you to get, and we'll, we'll close with these last few statements. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us, and to make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all. It is never fun to die, to rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet this is what the cross did to Jesus, and it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free. As we tear away from the self-life, it's not fun. It's not something that we embrace and say, you know, uh, but it's something that if we allow it to, it frees us up. You've been listening to the Change Lives, Changing Lives radio broadcast, a ministry of New Day Christian Church. Please visit us at our website at www.newdaycc.com. Again, that's www.newdaycc.com. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please tell others. And if you ever get the opportunity, please come visit us at New Day Christian Church.